Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com, as you probably know, is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. They have thousands of uh, audiobook titles that you can choose from, and they have a lot more that you might not know about. So get a free trial by going to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth and explore. Check it out see what you find uh, that may be of interest to you uh, for you, your business, your personal development, fun, all sorts of things. Uh, Over the years, this podcast has gained recognition as a great resource for uh, business owners, sales professionals, business leaders, Uh, people in a variety of um, aspects of business, and that is because of the guests. Uh, These are folks who have expertise in a particular area of business, and they join me uh, where we have a conversation and they share that expertise with all of you. That way you can get answers, you can get information, uh, ideas, tips, suggestions, whatever it is, and you can really hear from some incredibly knowledgeable people uh, who you can trust uh, that are there to, to help you do better things in your business. Today is no exception. I am happy to say that my guest today is Norman Wolf. Norman is founder and CEO of Quantum Leaders and is a leading voice in bringing about a transformation of the core paradigm of business. He's a 15-year veteran of Hewlett-Packard and has led um, and consulted with companies large and small. Thanks so much for being with me today, Norman. Yes, so very welcome. Thanks for having me, Diane. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, We're going to have a great time here. So now, um, 
we're going to be talking about this idea of the, this new paradigm that, that this you know paradigm shift, uh-huh. and um, I'm I would like to start with asking you about what what the impetus was for creating the living organization model. <clears throat> I, as you mentioned in my introduction, I've been working with leaders of organizations, large and small for well over 32 years now, uh, including having roles as an executive with Hewlett Packard and uh, other leadership positions for other companies. And one of the things that I I both experienced and observed is the difficulty organizations have in executing their initiatives, whatever they are. whether it be a, a implementation for to improve processes, to change our sales uh, process, to be more customer focused, to improve inventories, it, it almost doesn't matter the difficulty they have in in shifting the uh, the or changing, accomplishing their goals, um, ha, has always been more difficult than I felt it should be. statistics actually done by a number of the larger consulting firms like McKinsey and Booz Allen um, vindicated uh, repeatedly for the last four decades that the success rate, uh, or I should say the failure rate of strategic initiatives has been 70% and said that hasn't changed in over four decades now. As I began to really deeply explore that, I came to the conclusion that when we had all the knowledge, you know, methodologies like Blue Ocean Strategy or Balance Scorecard, Lean Operations, Six Sigma, Agile, Design Think, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And we have a lot of really smart people in, in leadership positions. So it wasn't like they were incapable. And I just concluded that it was uh, the overall system or the paradigm by which we look at what an organization is and how it accomplishes the goals uh, it's trying to achieve. <clears throat> and that led me to look for a better way, uh, something that shifted uh, or eliminated the blockages. So let me just take a moment and give you an example of, of one of the key uh, areas that I consider a blockage from the old paradigm. The old right. paradigm we, we think about as a um, I, I call it the machine paradigm. Not only me, a lot of people are calling it the machine paradigm. It's mechanistic in nature. And all machines require somebody to program them, uh, design them, uh, lay out how it's going to work and operate. And that's really been the role of leadership since turn of the previous century, uh, 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s. It's even embodied in in how we think of what leadership is. We say that the role is to plan, organize, lead, and control. So we we basically embed or uh, embed in everybody's thinking from leadership down to employees. It's the leadership's job to plan, organize, lead, and control to design how the machine operates. In the 1900s, uh, probably through the first half of the 1900s. up through maybe 1960, maybe even as late as 1980, that worked fine. Um, but to, towards the end of the last century, um, 
things began to break down. And the reason for that is the world we live in has changed. So where back then we had uh, employees who really needed a lot of guidance because they were coming off of the agricultural environment and coming into corporations, we needed to organize in a way that allowed leaders to guide how the organization was going to operate. In today's world, that's way too slow. It doesn't allow sure. us to respond to changing environments. It doesn't allow us to respond to competition that comes from outside our industry. You know, it doesn't allow us to respond to technological interruptions. Um, and it certainly doesn't allow us to respond to pandemics like we're facing today. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's geared towards everybody's waiting for the leader to make the decisions. And so I had to find, I, I decided we needed a different way. That's what led me to the living organization paradigm as, as you mentioned, the model that I created. Okay, so, so I, I would like you to tell us about the model and the two core principles of it. Uh, so the first core principle is that the organization should be looked at as a living person. I know this sounds a little crazy to some people because most people don't think of an organization as a living entity, <laughs> but it really does operate both uh, mechanically, if you will, or physiologically, uh, and also psychologically, like a person does. Um, and, and so the first principle, and, and probably the most difficult one to understand, is that it actually is a living person. And so <clears throat> the way I help people understand that, especially leaders I work with, is I, I ask them a simple question. Now, imagine you went to work and you had a challenge with somebody. How would you address it? And they say, well, I tell them what I expect, and I expect them to go do it. Simply put, it's usually a little longer answer than that, but it boils down to that. And I say, okay, now go home, and how would you, you have the same situation at home, say with your children or your spouse, significant other, how would you address it? Oh, well, I'd be, you know, trying to help my kids uh, understand the issue and develop them and help them mature and, and grow. And I say, well, they, you can see the contrast between just those two approaches. Um, and if we took the approach that organizations were actually living beings, we'd actually orient our thinking and the challenges we face uh, to thinking of them as how do we, instead of how do we program them, which is the way everybody tries to respond to it, um, we, we think of them as how do we grow them? How do we develop and nurture and cultivate their development? So it's a fun, that's what I mean by a fundamental shift in paradigms. We, you you got to think about it completely differently, which understandably is very difficult for people to do. The second principle is that of how do living beings create? You know, the goal of business is to create a result. That's, that's actually what drove me to this whole thing. How do we create results? And I concluded from all my research that we have to think about the creation of result as a process of transforming energy. We have in, in the model three fields of energy that we use and they're fairly easy to understand. One is the activity we do, that's the physical energy that we exert in getting anything done, whether it's be um, running a machine or typing on the computer, that's, that's the activity we do organizational structures, the, the things that are physical in nature um, is the activity energy. 
but the activity energy is greatly enhanced by or hindered by the relationship energy, how we interact with each other. And you can understand mm -hmm. that if you just think in terms of um, teams that are in, in the flow, people like to say, or synergistic or high performing. These are terms that all relate to teams that are working well together. The energy seems to be magnified. It's amplified. Um, teams in conflict seem to have a real hard time uh, getting things done in, in the extreme. And there's all sorts of variations of those, uh, uh, that spectrum between high performing and high conflict. Um, but we recognize that the energy of the relationships that exist have a huge impact on the activity we do. That's the second one. It also relates to the uh, impact of our relationships with those we serve, our customers. Uh, more and more these days, people are talking about a customer experience. Unfortunately, they think of it in terms of the transactions between the organization and the customer. How do we make those transactions more efficient? as opposed to how do we make the transaction high experience? And nowadays you see a lot of work on customer experience and you know enhancing it. But if you think about something as simple as Starbucks and the purchase of a cup of coffee, in, in the cup of coffee you can get at any convenience store like 7-Eleven or AM, PM markets or uh, any of these convenience stores and you pay $1.30 approximately for a cup of coffee, large coffee. You can put in all the fancy flavors and steamed milk and all of that stuff in it. It's $1.30. You go to Starbucks or any of the uh, barista coffee shops and you're paying four fifty. Yeah. The additional $3.20 is for what? It's the experience. But humankind really needs experiences. That's, that's what we trade in. And so it, it re recognizing relationship energy not only has a positive impact in the productivity within the organization, it has a huge margin impact on the, on the relationship with customers and it goes right to the bottom line. Um, so that's the relationship energy and the importance of that as it relates to business. Um, the third energy is what I call the energy of context. And, and this is the energy of our core framing, core beliefs, core assumptions about how life works. And it's the most powerful of the three because it defines in my mind what is and is not possible. The difference, one of the reasons I look at an organization as a living person, a living being as an example versus say a living system a living system is, is governed by its genetic um, makeup. Uh, a tree is always going to be a tree. A bird is never going to swim uh, underwater and a fish is never going to fly. But human beings have this phenomenal capacity of creating their own realities. Human beings decided they wanted to fly, they figured out how to do it. Uh, human beings decided they wanted to swim in the oceans under the seas, they figured out how to do it with scuba gear. I mean, this is, this is unique. The human being is a unique living system in that we have more potential to create a reality that we desire. And so that gives organizations the power to recognize that the outcomes they create, they have more control over them than just simply responding to the, to the universe and, and their genetic makeup.
So those are the three fields. So the two principles is A, organizations are living beings uh, like a person and two, uh, the uh, creation of outcomes is a function of the interplay, the, the relationship between activity, relationship and context energy. Boy, that is so great. And, and I wanna talk more about context because mm -hmm. that really hit me when um, when you were talking about that, that, that humans have this incredible ability to create the, the world they wanna live in, the, the reality that, that they, we, that we want. So, and I can see, when you were talking about it, I can see how that can have a dramatic impact on how a business functions and moves forward and problem solves and, and all of that. So talk to me some about how, um, how you change context. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> so the, the first thing to know how to change context, or the simple answer to that, I'll just start with the, the answer and then I'll work backwards how I got to the answer. The simple answer is uh, through storytelling and rituals. Now, let me back up and tell you how I yeah. got there. Um, yeah. When, if you understand, I had to really begin to explore how do I create my inner belief systems? How do I create the, the uh, set of beliefs that says I can do this, but I can't do that? Um, if the human potential is almost infinite, as, as I described with the examples of flying and swimming under the water, um, why is it that we don't do more of that? Um, and, and it comes to, we, we create a set of contexts or beliefs or assumptions about how life works. And that starts very, very young in our, as we grow and, and grow up. I'm going to describe it as, as it relates to an individual, and I'll periodically correlate it to how it happens in business. So when we're very young as children, we begin to have experiences and we decide what we give that meaning to that experience. Um, I had a great experience uh, where my mother hugged me and I said, boy, did it, it, this feels good, so I like it, I want more of it. This didn't feel good, I want less of it. And, and I start creating, in essence, stories about the way life works. When this event happened, this experience uh, happened, I chose to want to support that and have more of it, and that's a good thing. So, so there's nothing inherently right or wrong about any experience. It's the story I put on it that gives it meaning, that makes it valuable or not valuable, acceptable or rejection, or I reject it. Um, and, and, and over time, I build up this whole pattern. I, I, it's like a, a, a psychic DNA um, that really governs and drives all my behaviors. So as I get older, I become highly efficient at how to respond to life. Something happens. I don't have to think about, well, did I like that or didn't I? Does it feel good? Do I? You know, I just respond, right? Um, and, and that makes me navigate life very efficiently up to a point. Now, let me jump into business for a second. When okay. businesses are first created, 
um, they begin to have initial experiences. And the core group that creates it, dominated by the, the uh, founder, but also the core group around the founder, uh, responds to that experience. Uh, they get a loan from the bank or they don't get a loan from the bank. They had this positive customer experience and this negative customer experience. Uh, and, and they begin to make decisions about what that means. And they create stories. And those stories end up becoming their core context out of which flows their behaviors, which we call culture. So you see the pattern, they're exactly the same. Again, why I say organizations operate like living beings. Yeah. <laughs> once, once that pattern is established, like I said, it's geared to make us efficient and effective to guide us into being what we consider safe and successful. So it's both elements. We want to be successful, but we also want to keep ourselves out of danger. And this is the grounding framework for how we make up the stories. And to show that the events we experience don't necessarily have inherited anything right or wrong, yeah, look at uh, many sibling situations or even where they've done studies with twins. Both twins had the exact same experience with their uh, parents, say and one twin decides to go to the right and the other twin decides to go left. They make up totally different stories. Um, there's a classic example where uh, twins were raised by an abusive father. Um, one twin says, I'm just like my father. The other twin says, I'm not gonna be like him. And, hmm. you know, and, and, and there's many, many studies like these that, that have been going on uh, to show the point that the experience we have in life isn't what makes who we are. It's the story or the meaning we give to it through the story we associate with that experience that creates our context. Now, let's get back to how do you change context? Well, first of all, uh, you have to ask the question, why would I want to? If my context makes me efficient and effective in creating success and safety, why should I change it? Now, the only reason to change it is the outcomes you're getting uh, is no longer supported by your inner context. What, what I mean by that is this, the world has changed, my situation has changed, mm -hmm. and I'm still responding to the unconscious reactions based on my previous context. Organizations do the same thing. This is why they say very often, culture eats strategy for lunch. Yeah, I've grown up as an organization. I have a, uh, a new outcome that I have to create. Um, and I'm still trying to create the new outcome by the old behaviors. There's a saying that, you know, insanity, the definition of insanity is trying to create <laughs> something different by doing the same thing over and over again. Right. Right. But yeah we see this the 70% of failures happen because we have a new strategy, we have a new outcome we want to create, but we're still relying on the old behaviors. Now we go about and we tell people change your behaviors, you got to start acting this way versus that way. This is the new strategy. This is why it's important and all that. But we forget about going in and changing the context. Hmm. So I, I've created an, a corollary to that insanity definition. It's double insanity to expect we can create new behaviors by maintaining the same old context. 
So it kind of ah. uh, it kind of peels down. So outcome requires new behaviors. New behaviors require a shift in context. This is the this is the fundamental reason why seventy percent of all uh, initiatives, all attempts to make significant changes fail, because on an individual basis, I mean, you can think of it as my New Year's resolution: I want to lose weight. I put on too much weight. I want to lose weight. I'm going to go to the gym. I do it for three. For, for 30 days or less, and I'm back to the old pattern. Because I haven't changed the underlying context that drives my behavior to eat at night, excuse me, to eat at night when I'm sitting watching TV. I haven't changed my context of what it means to feel safe and secure and comfortable. And so <laughs> I, I fall back into the old patterns, something happens, there's a break in the routine, boom, I'm right back to the old pattern. And, and, and that's what happens in business. We, we come up with the new strategies. We have these meetings. Everybody goes rah, rah. We're all for it. Everybody nods their head yes. And then they go back to their old patterns. <laughs> they keep doing the same thing over and over again. And that's because we don't pay any attention to, to, the, to what I call the power of context. If we okay. recognize that context is actually created by the stories we told, we have to unravel those stories and create new ones. And that's the fundamental piece that's missing in most of the change management processes. There's two pieces to changing and one is the unraveling part, which is actually experienced by the, by the psyche, both the individual psyche and the collective psyche as a death process. Many years ago, I was at an executive retreat when I was working for Hewlett Packard, and we had Ken Blanchard, the author of The One Minute Manager and many other uh, leadership uh, work. And he was a keynote speaker, and, and we were going through significant changes at HP at the time. Uh, the company was growing like 50% a year for quite a number of years, so change was just all the time. And he said, uh, you have to understand that change is a death process. What was isn't going to be anymore, and the body needs to go through its grieving. He actually told us, go into a room, go through the five stages of death, deny it, then get angry about it, then blame somebody, uh, <laughs> then, then try to bargain, and then go ahead and accept it and get on with your, your work. Um, he says, spend an hour, two hours, whatever you need, You'll go through all those stages consciously, and then you'll move forward faster. Interestingly enough, as I've worked with companies in establishing new strategies, very often I've taken the, the teams through a process similar to that. I don't call it a grieving process. I, it, sometimes we, it looks like an honoring process. Lots of different ways I do that, such as um, go through a timeline exercise where we acknowledge everything that's gone before this point in time and let the people feel the sense of transition over time uh, and, and, and what's happened and why. So we're, we're kind of bringing some of the stories to light and then have them decide which of the old they want to bring forward and which are they willing to let go of, which is sort of like a wake <laughs> if you think about it. Um, so there's that element that's, that's often built into some of the work we do. Uh, and then there's the creating of the new story and honoring that and then building the rituals around it. And by rituals, it's, it's things we're going to do day to day that's going to reinforce this. Uh, it might be setting up a, a new way of 
uh, acknowledging people for doing things differently. Um, uh, in a sales organization, once we, we created the ringing of a bell when somebody did something that supported the new way of, of being. Uh, in this case, it was opening up new accounts. Um, and so it, there's all sorts of different ways to create rituals. If you think of your day, uh, both individually and in business, you, we all have rituals from the way we wake up in the morning to how we go to bed at night. Um, we have these patterns of routine behaviors that become our, our daily rituals. Uh, by making them conscious and, and giving them energy and focus and attention, that helps support the change in behaviors. Um, so that's, that's a, a lot on context, but that's basically the, the way we change it. Yeah, I, I, I tell you, I, I mean, it's so interesting for me. I too would not have thought about ch change, you know, as a, as a death process till you talked about that and went through it. And it's really true. It feels to me like a, a lot of this is having awareness around um, we are here. It is not serving us anymore. We need to let go of things that are comfortable, traditional, usual, you know, safe, whatever that is, and venture. You know, it's, it's like when the pioneers decided to go west. Absolutely. Okay, right? Scary. Scary. But there was a reason why they had to do it, and they, you have to acknowledge that, I guess, in order to be able to make the shift. Yeah, and... and, and a lot of times we end up with major crises in our lives uh, that, that force us into those changes. On yeah. a personal level, uh, we'll end up with a, a death in, in the family. Like I know I made a big change in 2001. Uh, not only did I experience 911 uh, as many others did, but I lost both of my parents within three weeks of each other oh. uh, in, in October of that year, October, November. So. Um, plus, I got married right in between the two deaths. So. Oh my gosh! <laughs> talk about, talk about a, a, a shift in awareness of what my life was all about, and okay. uh, you know that the, the the fall of 2001 was a big change in my life, and it made me it made me become aware of what's really important. What do I believe? What am I going to believe in the future? Go through the morning, which I did both. I mean, through, through, from the whole 9-11 time till the uh, death of my, my two parents and, and yeah. the grieving of that process, uh, that whole period was a grieving period for me, but also an awakening, an opening period, um, uh, sort of like a death and resurrection period. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, I, I raised that because guess what we're doing right now? COVID yeah, I know. I was just thinking that. Is it, is, isn't that what's happening to us on a global basis? Yeah. Yeah. So this is, it's a death and, and I'm always hopeful that there's always a resurrection after the death, that there's something new going to be born out of this. I can't tell you what it's going to be. Right. I have my preferences, what I'd like to see it become. Um, but what I'm very clear about is this is a, this is a major disruption uh, a pause, and and now we get to decide what do we want to be going forward. Yeah, so so it's a really good time, I guess, to go through these steps, and and go through the exploration. 
Absolutely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we're, we've been talking to a number of our clients um, who, you know, naturally they go into you know, what I'll call triage mode, right? Uh, yeah. Survival mode, you know, what's going to happen? They go into the panic mode at first. Uh, that's sort of like the, you know, the stages, you know, first is the denial and, and then the, and then the panic and the anger and then the blaming and then the bargaining, you know, trying to negotiate this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. There's also the creation part. There's the, I was talking with a, a client just yesterday who's been having a little bit of difficulty making some changes uh, strategically and structurally in the organization. And I said, you know, this is a perfect time to revisit things that you tried that didn't work before because now everybody has stopped and they know the old isn't going to be the same. So that there's sort of like a break of the, of the, uh, of the energy pattern of, of the old way of doing things. Um, and there's an opportunity now to reshift that energy pattern into a whole new pattern. So this is actually in, in this kind of a bizarre way, one can think of it as I do, this is a great opportunity to position the company for you know greater things in the future. Yeah, yeah, right, right. It's sort of, you don't necessarily have a choice and it's like a door. Absolutely. Yeah, yep. wow. Yeah. Okay, so now speaking of that, so, uh -huh. so then what, what is the responsibility of the leader when it comes to context and, and um, facilitating these sorts of changes in an organization. Well, I'm glad you asked that because part of our model in our work we do with leaders is to help them recognize if plan, organize, lead and control is the dominant responsibility of leaders in the old paradigm, what, it, what, what is it in the new paradigm? Yeah, I, I, I've concluded that it comes to um, four key areas of responsibility. First, it has to do with consciously being aware of and setting the context for the organization. What, who, and by context, it's really asking the question, who are we going to be while we do what we're going to do? And so there's this kind of a state of, uh, it goes a little deeper than just the values of the organization. It's more like, how are we going to live those values? How are we going to embody them? How are we going to be, um, are we going to be considerate, uh, caring, loving? Are we going to be aggressive? Are we going to be competitive? And I'm not putting judgments on any of those. I'm not saying you should be one or the other. You should just be conscious of it. Um, and so that's, that's the first part of it, uh, setting the context recognizing that we need to increase the maturity level of our people. Um, not only their skill sets, which of course is always have to be developed. We have to develop our people as a whole human being. Uh, ha have them take more ownership, uh, more responsibility for their lives and, the, and what they want to create. Um, and hopefully what they want to create is consistent with what the organization wants to create then you have a high level of alignment and engagement. Um, and one of the reasons we have such low engagement is uh, we're basically trying to manipulate, cajole, uh, <laughs> I use the word motivate in, in a sort of pejorative sense, 
we, we talk about motivation, but it's really, let me see if I can convince you to do what I want you to do, as opposed to, here's what I have available. Is there anything in that that you want to do? Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a different way. And let me help you develop in your ability to do that which you want to do. Uh, we have to recognize that we have a society that's trained people to really be good industrial age workers. Yeah. Right? We've trained yeah. them to listen to the boss, to get guidance by the boss, which really makes people, in a large case, uh, cogs in the wheel and victims to somebody else's thinking. They don't have the power mm. of choice of their own lives. And so they're not used to that. And when you give it to them, they're a little confused at first, like, wait a minute, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. So we have to develop them to, to step up into the levels of maturity that both serves them, serves the organization, and in fact, serves society. Um, so, that's, so developing the people is the second responsibility. The third is what I call building community. Um, and, and to understand that there's a simple, just mentally think of, when you think of a team, how do you hold that? What do you think of them? Uh, what the images come to your mind? And then think about the community and what images and feelings and sense about that comes to mind. And you probably notice that teams are more activity oriented, uh, more doing, uh, aligning on, you know, who's going to do what by when and that kind of stuff. Where community has a different quality of uh, caring, concern, support, helping, uh, working together. Um, and yet, if you step back and just look at them objectively, they're both nothing more than a group of people who've come together to achieve something together. There's a different quality between those two considerations. Mm -hmm. So I believe leaders have to learn how to, how to build community as opposed to just build, building organization structures and, and teams. And the fourth element is um, to be of service. I, I truly hold to the, con, uh, the concept that <clears throat> all human beings are here to contribute something to the well-being of others. And psychological studies, spiritual studies have all proven, uh, even medical studies have proven that we are healthier when we take care of others. Our own personal health is enhanced um, and our well-being is enhanced. <clears throat> so those are the four um, new responsibilities of leadership. It's build context, develop people, build community, and be of service. Okay, there's a couple of things in there that, that <clears throat> I want to touch on. Sure. The, and I'm going to go backwards. So when you were talking about, you know, think about teams and think about community, and they're basically the same thing, but, but they're different. Um, the thought that kept coming to my mind was that community feels more um, continuous. Yes. It, right? I mean, it's like, okay, so a team, okay, they, they work toward a particular goal, winning a particular game, let's just say, you know, if we say like a sports team. So they're together, they build community, but the community they build is more um, connected, grounded, and more of a continuum that the team comes in and out of, where community feels um, 
the image that comes to my mind is like ivy. You know, it, it, it weaves in and out mm -hmm. and it, mm -hmm. it, it, it holds together. Yeah, a community, if you think about it, just using your little uh, example, as I was listening to you, what comes to my mind is community, when you said it has longevity, it lasts longer, community, it becomes a living being onto itself. Um, yeah. Right? Where team, yeah. teams tend to be more <clears throat> constructs of time and space. Um, uh -huh. They don't have that quality of a li living being. Communities <clears throat> often have similar qualities to families. Um, and, 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 and communities also have the quality of a choiceful joining. Um, people choose to join the community because in the joining, they believe that they are going to be, their well-being is going to be enhanced by being part of the community. And they also recognize that by being part of the community, um, since the community will enhance their well-being, they're really interested in making sure the community's well-being is enhanced because there's that symbiotic uh, or synergistic yeah, relationship right. between the two. Teams don't carry that same imagery to it. It doesn't carry that same uh, element. So you're right, communities are fundamentally different and they, and it fits with what I talk about. It's, it's got a living being quality, right. <laughs> which is why organizations are living beings in my, in my yep. thinking. Yeah, okay. Now the other thing that I was thinking of was when you were talking about building um, the, the, you know, your people and, and um, how you know, we came from this industrial world where we were sort of cogs in the wheel and we were told what to do and we did it. And, and that, um, so changing context and having people be more involved. I kept thinking about millennials and how millennials seem to already be there. They already want to be part of a, a whole. They want to feel like they're making a contribution, that they're having an impact. And so I'm curious what, and let me just say that I love millennials. I am not a millennial basher. So uh, <laughs> put that out there. Um, so, but so I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Well, I, I love millennials as well. Um, I think they are the future of our world. Uh, whether we like it or not, they are the future of our world. But I really think they carry uh, a different energy. And, and I think the way you described it is right. It's often associated with millennials, uh, especially when they think of them in, in the context of business. Millennials want to work for somebody, for an organization that has a purpose that aligns with what they're interested in. Yeah. Millennials have transcended the industrial age paradigm of I go to work to make a living. So in the industrial age, I, the transaction that I have or the contract I have with the corporation is I give you my time and my physical efforts for a wage, a salary, an income. Yeah. And then I take that income and I go live my life. Right. Right. <clears throat> that's been breaking down since the 50s and 60s. Um, you know, the hippie movement had a little bit of an influence on that, of which I am proudly a of that generation. Um, we began to say there's more to life than, um, as, as the Tennessee 
Ernie Wilms song, Selling My Soul to the Company Store, right? Yeah. Uh, I, want, I want more out of my work. And uh, I, I grew up with the experience of, of feeling that disconnect. I remember going to work as a young engineer when I got out of college and, and the chief engineer or the senior engineer in my group said, Norman, when you come to work, you leave your personal life outside yeah. and you're here to work. Ugh. Work's not meant to be fun. If it's fun, you would be paying the company. Work is meant to be work. And, and those two phrases stuck in my head as so um, descriptive of the old paradigm. But it's carried through through the, you know, up until, you know, just recently. And the millennials are saying, no, I am not going to, I don't buy into that. Um, my my parents, namely our generation, the, the, the boomer generation said, no, we don't want to live that way. And we're not going to let our kids live that way. So now that our kids are coming up, my daughter's 28 and she's definitely in that category and she will not work for a company that is inconsistent with what her values and beliefs are. Right. Um, and so, yeah. And, and, and so, <clears throat> excuse me, the millennials are one of those dynamic forces, kind of like COVID was a, mm -hmm. a, a pause on the old way. The millennials are ca causing great disruption. In a, for me, a positive way saying, no, we ain't going to work that way. And so business leaders now have to face, how do I do this? I don't know how to run an organization that's based on purpose and meaning and context and relationships. I know how to run an organization based on activity because that's right. that's what my MBA taught me. That's what my 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 mentors from from the old way taught me, and now I'm lost. And that's where, you know, quantum leaders and our model of living organization hopes to help transform the core paradigm of business. Yeah, boy. Oh my gosh. I, I what 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 a great bow to to wrap this up in. So. <laughs> You gave me a you gave me a great lead in on that one. <laughs> so fabulous, I seriously, and you know, man, man, I could talk to you forever, but I can't because we have to. <laughs> we have to wrap this up. We have to wrap it. But so, will you tell the listeners, you know, how they can find you and and uh, quantum leaders and yes. anything you want them to know? Yeah, thank you. I uh, so the easiest way to find me, uh, quantumleaders.com, Q U A N T U M. L-E-A-D-E-R-S dot com. Uh, there's a contact page. There's white papers available. There's, there's more information. Feel free to reach out to me on the contact. Uh, you can send me an email at N-W-O-L-F-E at quantumleaders.com. Um, there's also a gift for your audience uh, should they choose to avail themselves. I made the first three chapters of my book available for free. Uh, wow. by going to quantumleaders.com forward slash podcast. And you can download the first three chapters of the book um, as a That's gift. That's so great. Audience. Yep. You're welcome. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Well, I just have to say, listeners, uh, you can see that, that uh, you can learn so much. Um, by re-listening to this podcast, but also by um, checking out uh, Norman and, and Quantum Leaders. And we really are in this interesting place where uh, between millennials and COVID-19, we, we are in a, a change 
uh, world and um, and you owe it to yourself to embrace that, I would say, and, and really um, adopt the skills and these ideas that uh, you need in order to help your organization move forward. Um, so if, if you embrace nothing else, I would say that uh, embrace that your organization is a living being uh, because it so is and it will change the way you uh, motor. So Norman, thank you. Listeners, thank you. Uh, I um, would also like to thank our sponsor, audible.com. Uh, get your free trial uh, of audible.com at audibletrial.com slash business growth. Check out the audiobooks, the Audible Originals, Guided Meditations. Uh, those are a bit of my favorites right about now. Uh, but, you know, check it out for yourself and enjoy. And as always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.